Yeah. Again, thank you for being a church that believes in uh, student ministries and supporting our student ministries. And for those of you who are leaders who went, I see some of the leaders here uh, who went on the trip. Thank you guys for going up there and spending the week. Yeah. Um, if that looked fun to you, we're taking signups for next year's leaders uh, right now after the service. So uh, we'll commit now and before you can back out of it. But uh, they had a great time up there. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to two places today. We're going to be, uh, and briefly in each of them, but one of them is in the book of Jonah. So this is Old Testament, probably about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And uh, so you can put a little marker there. And the other one will be in Luke chapter 5. And if you're using a digital Bible, I guess you don't need to put a marker anywhere. But either way, uh, we'll be getting there in a little bit. Um, So here's a question for you. Have you ever experienced something that it was so unexpected that though it was a normal thing, it took you a while to figure out what you were looking at. You ever just see something and you said, okay, I I know what this is in theory, but it feels so out of place that your mind's not quite comprehending what it is. Uh, Last week, I uh, had dropped off my truck to get uh, some new tires on it, and we live about I don't know, a third of a mile, a quarter mile from the, the place. And so I dropped it off and went home. And when I went to pick it up, um, I grabbed my skateboard to go back there because who can walk a quarter mile, right? So, so I was uh, skating there. And do you know, do you ever put on your shoe or something and you have just like one little pebble or something in the shoe and it can be so uncomfortable? Or, or maybe you, you walk or run through a field and they have the tall grass and the little sticker grass and it sticks on the outside of your sock or something and kind of itch anyone with that? Some of you need to get outside more, but that, that can happen in the fields. And so you run through and you get like some sort of sticker. So that's, that's what I, I put on my shoes and it felt like like I had just some sort of something sticky scratching the top of my foot, which is super uncomfortable, but I was already going, so I was skating. I got to a stoplight, so I stopped there and thought, okay, I'm going to pull it, whatever's on my sock, pull this off, and I looked down to my shoe about to take this piece of grass or whatever out of my shoe, and what I saw was the face of a lizard (laughs) staring at me. His head was sticking out of my shoe. I kid you not, there was a lizard in my shoe. So I pulled off my shoe, and the lizard took off, and it ran away. And I was like, that's, I know what that is, but that is not what I was expecting to see right there. And it turned out the reason why it was scratching is because he literally was scratching. I had like little like cuts on my foot where he was scratching at me going like, bro, I'm in your shoe. <laughs> could, you, could you just let me out? So... I didn't, I didn't even know it was possible. So, so unexpected that though I know what it was, it didn't make any sense. It took me a while to figure it out. This morning, we're going to look at one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, one that is, sounds so familiar. We hear about it all the time. Uh, it's a common word, but when we see what it really is, it's actually surprising and unexpected. And that characteristic that we're looking at today is this, this word called kindness. See, we're in a summer series called The Good Life, and The Good Life is what we're describing as a life that is, be, as we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit throughout Scripture is this idea of evidence of something. So the fruit is the evidence of the Spirit's work in, inside of you. 
And in this, he describes nine characteristics. Now, it's not nine different fruit, because if that was the case, you'd say, well, I'm going to pick patience and goodness, but I'm not going to be kind or whatever. This is all evidence of one thing. But Paul describes them with different characteristics. And so this summer, we've been diving deeper on each characteristic to say, what does this really look like? And how does God produce that in us? So today, the word we're looking at is kindness. A Greek word here, it's called krestes, or krestostes. Christostes, it's kindness throughout in Greek. Now, what does it really mean from a biblical standpoint? A definition I'm kind of working with today is practical kindness or goodness with vulnerability out of a deep inner security. Another way to think of it is this way. It's treating people with goodness out of the overflow of who you are, not because of who they are. So true biblical kindness has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with you and what's at work inside of you. Now, a counterfeit to kindness would be good deeds or manipulative good deeds or good deeds where you say, I'm going to be good to you because you've been good to me. Or I'm going to do this for you so that you'll do something for me. Or I'm going to be a kind person so that everyone knows I am and can honor me as a kind person. It's a transactional kindness would be the counterfeit. But true, deeply rooted biblical kindness is not a transaction. It's an overflow of the inner workings inside of you, which is really true of most of these characteristics we're looking at. So where does that come from? Where does true biblical kindness come from? And again, if you've been a part of this series for a little bit, you hopefully won't be surprised to find that what this comes from, the very nature and character of God himself. Because if we're created in his image, we're created with characteristics of God within us, embedded within us, and as the Holy Spirit works and shapes us into something new, we start to embody some of these characteristics. But kindness, this true selfless inner working kindness is from God. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes this about God. He says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience? Not knowing that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. So it's something from within of who God is. It is his goodness to you, not based on you, but based on him, that leads to repentance. Again, in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, Paul writes, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but according to, with his mercy. So again, kindness of God is not based on you, but it's based on God. It's something that it comes from within, and it's not because of your deeds or your actions. Now, the word kindness is also interchangeable with that last word in that verse, which is mercy. In the Old Testament, which the Hebrew language is much smaller than the Greek or the English language, about just over 6,000 biblical Hebrew words. So they have a lot of nuance to them. And so the word that we have for kindness in the Old Testament is hesed, which is also the word we use for mercy and for grace. Again, these are actions that are not based on the, the person who's receiving, but it's based on the giver. And so a, a biblical idea of kindness is this mercy or grace or something poured out that is undeserved. It's unearned. It's not a transaction. It's out of the deep inner workings of the giver. So 
when we hear that, who of us in this room would not want to live in a world where everyone is kind? If that's you, do not raise your hand right now. We'll talk to you later. But we would all love to live in a world where people treat you with goodness, not based on whether you deserve it or not. Because there's times when we don't deserve it. What if everyone in your family always treated you with goodness and kindness, and it had nothing to do with what kind of mood you were in? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Or it wouldn't have to do with whether you picked up your clothes and put them away and closed the closet door, which might be an issue in my house. I'm just saying. Or whether the rest of your family actually cleaned out the sink after they did the dishes. Might be an issue in some houses. I don't know. But whatever it is, what if it wasn't based on the actions, but it was because that person and what they gave to you? That's a world we all want to live in. So the question is, why don't we live that way? Why is kindness, true kindness, that's not transactional, why is it so difficult? And for that, I want to point us to the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah, which we're going to fly it through pretty quickly. So I want to show you how it can be so difficult to actually embrace this true biblical God-given kindness. Okay, so the book of Jonah, it's in the Old Testament. Some of you, uh, many may be familiar with the story. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you probably have heard or may know parts of this story. But here's how it starts. The book of Jonah chapter 1. Starts with this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That means that Jonah at this time was was a prophet. He'd received maybe somehow he got a word of the Lord and, and would bring this message of God to someone. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. So here's the here's the scene. Jonah is an Israelite. He's told to rise up. And go to the city called Nineveh, which was in the Syrian Empire, modern-day Iraq. And go there and cry out against them. Let them know that their ways are contrary to the Creator God. In other words, in their culture, there was this idol worship. They would have some human sacrifice. They would take life from people, not give life the way they treated others. So it was a violation of just the very character and nature of God, the Creator. So he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and cry out against them. Tell them... That, I, that their ways are not the ways of, that bring life. So that's verse 2 of chapter 1. Go to Nineveh. Look at the first two words of chapter, or verse 3, chapter 1. But Jonah, I want you, if you'd like to take notes in your Bible and circle, circle those. God said, get up and go. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction. So what God says is, get up, go to Nineveh, but Jonah got up and went the other way. And before we judge Jonah, how many of us have ever felt maybe somehow, maybe internal voice or audible or whatever that, man, I should probably do this good thing right here. Maybe God would want me to be forgiving right now. Maybe God would want me to be gracious right now. But you turned and went the other way. My guess is you could say, oh yeah, I've been there, Jonah. I've done that. And if you're not sure if you have, ask the person next to you if you've ever done that, and they will confirm it. So he says, get up and go to Nineveh, and Jonah gets up and goes towards Tarshish. Now, the next chapter, in chapter 2, we find uh, that Jonah goes, 
he, he gets on a boat, and we're not going to go through all of this, and he gets on a boat, sails to Tarshish, a big storm comes up. Now, in the ancient world, when there's a big storm, they would say, this is because God has brought a big storm. So they started asking each other, why is there a big storm? And uh, Jonah says, oh, it's because of me. I'm running from God, the creator God. To which everyone else on the boat said, why didn't you tell us that earlier? <laughs> that would have been nice information to know. You're running from God, and now there's this great storm. They said, how are we going to stop it? And Jonah says, here's the best way. Throw me in the sea. Basically, kill me, <laughs> right? Get rid of me. God is trying to get me, so the best way to do it is just do the work for him. It's the only way to save yourself. Which they said, no, we're not going to do that. And then the storm kept raging, you know, a little bit longer. They go like, actually, no, that was a good idea. We'll do it. <laughs> so they take Jonah, and they, they throw him overboard. Now, they throw him overboard, and the sea calms, and, and that was to get rid of Jonah. They said, he, and Jonah said, I just, I need to die, because God's chasing me. So they throw him in. Now, from here, the story says that he's captured by a great fish. And before you get, oh, you caught up in the details of how would that work, and would he digest, and all this, or what kind of fish are they? That, that's not the point of the story. Get point of the story that God somehow rescues him with this great fish. And in chapter 2, Jonah now is in this moment where he prays. He's having a prayer to God because he was captured and now he's rescued. And in this mouth of this fish, or however it's working, he starts praying. Verse 2, chapter 2. I called out to the Lord in my distress. He answered me. I called out from help from the deep, and he heard my voice. And he goes, for God, you threw me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the current flowed around me. Your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Nevertheless, I want you to see this, because there's something deeper going on. Jonah said, I've been cast out. Nevertheless, I will look towards your holy temple. It's kind of an interesting part of his prayer. He goes on. Let's skip down to verse 7. Jonah says, when I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Verse 8, those who are followers of worthless idols abandon their own faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And the Lord God commanded the fish, and it, my translation says, vomited Jonah up onto dry land. I used to be a junior high pastor, so I had to know all the verses in the Bible that said stuff like vomit. Those were ones you just had to know to keep people's attention. So it spits him out onto dry land. So I want you to notice something, though. Notice Jonah's heart once he gets captured here. What is his prayer? Look at me, Lord. Even now, you tried getting rid of me, but you rescued me, so I'm turning my eyes to your holy temple. I'm praying to your temple. Look, I'm doing the right things again. People who follow worthless idols i.e. Ninevites, they're going to abandon their faithfulness to you, but me, oh Lord, even in the middle of the sea, I'm thinking of the religious thing to do. I'm doing the right thing, even now. Look at me. It's subtle, but it's actually interesting. And maybe I'm misreading this, but it sounds like a good prayer until you go deeper and go like, whoa, why'd you throw that in there? Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
And now look at this. He says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, deliver the message I've given to you. Now look at the first two verses. This, or words, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. So first time he went the other way. This time he's like, okay, 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 I'll go. And he goes and he shares the message. He finds a king in Nineveh. He tells him, hey, the creator God, creator of the universe says, the way you're living is contrary to what gives life. This is not how he's designed the world, and what you're doing is headed for destruction. Okay, I delivered my message. There you go. And he walks away. Like, fine, I did it, Lord. I told them. Now, destroy them. He goes and sits on the side of the hill to watch the city burn. Such a compassionate guy, isn't he? And what happens inside the city in chapter 3 is that the king repents. The whole city turns. They tear their clothes. They say, what are we doing? We're taking life. We're destroying. We can't live this way. This isn't the way the creator God would want us to live. So they start, they repent. They turn of their ways. And in chapter, or verse 10 of chapter 3, God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Good story so far, right? Chapter 4, verse 1. But this greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. God gave mercy, and Jonah's like, oh, I was here, I was waiting to see the city destroyed, and there you go again. Look what Jonah says. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish. Why? Since I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in mercy or in kindness. And you're one who relents of disaster. So please, Lord, take my life from me, for death to me is better than life. So Jonah's literally saying, Lord, this is why I didn't want to come here. This is why I didn't want to tell the Ninevites to turn of their ways and repent. Because I knew you were good. I knew you were kind, and you're going to be kind to them. I don't want to see that. They don't deserve it. I deserve it. I was in the belly of a fish and praying to your temple. I was doing the right things even then. They don't. They don't deserve it. And I knew it. I knew that you were going to be who you are, gracious. And I don't want to see it. So just take my life from me. Kind of sounds like a fit. Is he not throwing one? Mm. Verse 4. Great. You know, there's always great questions in the Bible. Here's one. The Lord says to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry? <laughs> this is like great. It's like, uh, help me process what you're mad about again. <laughs> Why are you angry right now again? Do you have a good reason? See, Jonah's internal sense of justice was being violated by God's compassion and kindness. See, Jonah's sense of fairness and what is right and wrong in his eyes was being violated by the very nature and character of God. It, that's not fair. It shouldn't work this way. Have any of you ever um, had kids? Or have you ever been a kid? Anyone? So, have you ever said, that's not fair? They don't deserve it. Why does he get dessert when he didn't finish his dinner and I finished mine? 
Why does he get allowance when he didn't do all his chores and I did mine? Or in my house, why don't we get allowance from you guys? Why did you forget again? Or whatever. It's not fair. Jonah's saying to God, this isn't fair. I'm trying to do what's right, and they're not. It's not fair. His inner sense of right and wrong was being violated by God's goodness. I remember... uh, Quite a few years ago now, it was in 2008 and 9. my family, we were living overseas in Israel, I was studying there, we came home, was part of a church plant, and um, working a couple jobs, but 2008 and 9, if you remember, the housing market collapsed, and there was a lot of foreclosures and things going on, but we had purchased a home many years before in Orange County, in fact, was, you guys don't even know the price, it was in the 200s, a home in Orange County in the 200s, we should have bought like eight of them, but, um, but anyway, so we had this home, we kept it, even when we moved overseas, we just, we rented it out, came back, so we still owned it. So even as the market collapsed, we were still okay, we still had equity, and it was good. But I was working really hard, and this was back when we, our loan was like 7%, which used to be kind of normal. But then when everything crashed, the rates went all the way down to like 5%. So I remember going in to try to get a refi to lower my rate, is two percentage points lower, and they said, hey, you're going to save $350 a month on your payment, which I was like, fantastic, that's like a raise, that $350 goes a long ways, I'll take it, and the loan officer said to me, yeah, here's the problem, you don't qualify for your loan, and I was like, well, we're not taking any extra money out, the same value, it's just $350 a month cheaper, he goes, yeah, but on paper, you don't qualify, it's like, I've never missed a payment. We have all this equity. He goes, yeah, but there's new rules. And you don't have enough income to get a loan that will cost you less than your current one. I know. Doesn't make any sense, does it? And to which I was like, okay, you got to be kidding me. Is this, is this like a real thing? Like, it's the new rules. There's too many foreclosures. And, and then he said this. I'm like, well, how can I get my rate lowered? He said, the only way, he goes, here's what you do. Quit making your payments. Just stop paying, and we'll work with you and lower your rate. I know, dumb, right? <laughs> and inside, I'm thinking, no, I'm working hard. I have two jobs. I'm picking up extra work. I'm doing all these things to make my payments, and I, I said I'll pay. I'll pay. It's called integrity. Does that count as anything? No, but okay. And so I'm doing, and then you start giving out loan forgiveness and all this grace to other people, which if you've received it, I'm glad you did. I really am. Don't think I'm criticizing you, but I was thinking, this isn't fair. It's kind of dumb. And I still think that, (laughs) even though it's a sermon illustration. (laughs) And it took like a year, and finally, I think somebody said, hey, it might make sense, actually, to give this loan. So we finally did get it lowered without having to miss payments. But I just remember thinking, look at everyone else who's not paying, getting grace, And here's me doing all the right things, not getting any. And I kept, you know, calling the White House saying, if you want to help people, help people who are trying. And they didn't answer my call. But it just wasn't fair. How many of us in our spiritual lives kind of feel that same way? It's just not fair, Lord. I wake up in the morning, I pull out my Bible, I read some scripture, I study, I pray. I attend church when I'm available. I, I, I serve in my church. I even tithe. I give to the church. I do all of these things, Lord. 
and I know I'm forgiven, I know I'm loved by you, but then people show up just whenever they want, and who knows how they've been living, and they come in and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and you do it. And probably none of us would say that out loud, but how many of us kind of sometimes feel that way? Grace, mercy, it's just, it's not fair. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. Yet it's the very nature and character of God poured out to you and to me and to the people next to you. It's just who he is. And it is not fair. Jonah's internal sense of right and wrong was violated by God's goodness. I think sometimes when we get an inflated sense of our own holiness, or I'd say it this way, when we forget the source of what makes us holy, we can become judgmental and our kindness is fake at best. When we forget that, oh wait, there but by the grace of God go I. If it weren't for the goodness of God poured out on me, if it weren't for his grace and mercy, I'm no better than the next person. Even if I'm further down the road of a spiritual journey, that doesn't make me any different because it's from what Christ has poured out to me. And when we forget that, it's so easy to become judgmental. It's so easy to point at the people around you and see what's wrong with them. Turn now to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we see this story of Jesus with his disciples, and he calls a new disciple, and this disciple here is Levi, or Matthew, depending on the, the book you're reading. And he was a tax collector, and in the time of Christ, tax collectors were synonymous with sinner. So tax collectors were Israelites, they were, they were Hebrews, who, under the occupation of Rome, said, oh, we're going to work for the Roman government. And part of that also meant that there was a little bit of stealing going on often, or not, maybe not stealing, but they were able to inflate the taxes to get some for their own. So this started the tradition of government workers. So anyway, so that's how, sorry, not fair. So... <laughs> But so tax collectors were not loved at all. They were despised by Israelites. You turned your back on us. So Jesus calls, meets this guy named Levi or Matthew. He invites him to be a disciple, and he, re, he says, I'll do it. Can you imagine what the other disciples were saying? Like, Jesus, uh, no, that's, that's a tax collector. I don't know. We did the background check. No. <laughs> we're good, but not him. Wrong guy. Jesus invites him, says, I want him to be a disciple. Chapter 5 of the book of Luke, verse 29. Levi gives a, let me get that. Levi gives a big reception, says, for Jesus and his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. So here's Matthew. Jesus says, I want you to be a follower of me. He's like, that's great. Let's throw a party and I'll invite all my friends. And none of those friends were from the Hebrew school. All of those were the government workers and the tax collectors and sinners, those that the religious people said, ah, we don't hang out with you. He threw a big party with Jesus. Actually sounds kind of fun. And they were reclining on the table with him. And verse 30, the Pharisees, who were the, the holy ones, they were the religious ones. And I believe most of the Pharisees had good hearts. They were trying to do what they thought was right. They were trying to, God told us to do these things, we're going to do them. But the Pharisees saw this party, and their scribes began grumbling to the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why is Jesus being kind 
to them. Why doesn't he be kind to us? Or why is, it, why is he only being kind to us? He was performing miracles. He was healing people. The Pharisees were saying, maybe he is the Messiah, and now he's hanging out with sinners. And they said, this, why don't you start with us, the religious ones? Why are you going to them? Jesus responds, and he says, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous to repentance, but sinners. My goodness is for the sinners. Now, by the way, who are the righteous people apart from Christ? Nobody, okay? So when we read this, sometimes I, I used to read this and think, God, that seems kind of mean. You come only for sinners and not the religious righteous people? He's like, yeah, nobody is righteous apart from me. So what he's saying is I come to call you sinners, the person next to you, the person in your office who annoys you. Came for them. Your neighbor who you don't really like? Yeah, came for them. The person who drives too fast through your neighborhood? came for them. Person who drives too slow in front of you on the freeway, came for them too. The person who votes differently than you, got them. The one who's at the protest that you wouldn't attend, came for them. Not only did I come for them, I'm pouring out my goodness and kindness towards them. See, the kindness of God we think we get kindness, but when we really see it, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense. It's hard to wrap our heads around it because it's scandalous. It's unfair. It doesn't seem like the people who don't deserve this goodness should just get it, but they do. And so we're called to walk in that. And the whole idea of the fruit of the Spirit is now in Christ. For any of us in here who say we're walking, we're followers of Christ, we've received his forgiveness. That means in you, you have the Spirit of God. Meaning you have the capacity for this same kind of kindness within you. We sometimes reject it. Sometimes we suppress it. Sometimes we say, this is, I don't know if I want to live this out. But it's in you. And the Spirit wants to produce the same kindness in you. The kindness has said it's not about that person's actions. It's about the inner workings of my own heart. What's happening in me. So how do we grow in that kindness? There's a couple of thoughts I have. Uh, the biggest one is let's surrender to the Spirit, right? But here's a couple practical things. that What does that look like to surrender to the Spirit? And there's two, two phrases that I think it's under. It's this. Uh, it's how we see and then what we do. Okay, those are two things, how we see and what we do. And in our faith, let's always get the order right. Sometimes religion is about do the right things first and then figure out what the identity or how you see, how you look. It should start with seeing and then doing. And here's what I mean. The first one is this. Remember the kindness that God shows to us. We want to see ourselves as God sees us. Anytime we start thinking, that those people around us are undeserving. We want to stop and take a step back and say, God, man, your grace is amazing. Your kindness towards me is unbelievable. Remember that without Christ, apart from him, we're lost. We might do good things. We might even be better than the person around you, the people around you. 
But apart from Christ, we're unforgiven. We're hopeless. Remember that, that his grace has been poured out to you. So learn to see yourself. and Remember the kindness that God shows to you. And remember, it's because of him, what he's poured out towards you. Anytime you start feeling really judgmental and how the people around you are insignificant or they don't measure up, every time we step back and say, oh, what have you done for me, Lord? It starts to change our view of others. So learn to see yourself first. Love for others begins when we are rooted in the love that God has for us. You can't possibly somehow conjure up within you enough love and compassion for every person and every uh, problem in the world. We just can't do it. But it begins when it's rooted in understanding the love that God has for us. We have to go back to that. So see yourself the way God sees you. The next one is this. Learn to see the person or the people, not their actions. Learn to see the person, not the actions. We get ourselves into trouble with... uh, Deciding who deserves our goodness when we look at just what they do. Look at those. Look what they're doing. I'm not going to enable. I'm not going to reward them for this behavior. I'm not going to be, I mean, come on. And we look at the actions and we don't see the people. There's a story in Luke chapter 10 called the Good Samaritan. And we don't have time to go through it, but essentially it's, there's this guy who's beaten. He's on the side of the road and you have a priest who sees him and walks the other way. He says, I'm busy. I'll get to him later, Maybe. And then a Levite, who's also from the priestly, uh, priestly family, sees him, says, I, I'm, get, I'm not going to walk past, I'm going to just walk past this person. And finally, a Samaritan, who was an enemy of the Israelites, essentially, they were at odds, they had some racial tension, all these things. In Luke chapter 10, it says that he saw the man and went to him. So I think when we see the people, not the actions, it causes us to respond. See, what the Samaritan could have seen in the Israelite is, oh, I know how you've treated my family. I know, I know that you have, been, have racial prejudice against me and my people. I know what you've done in our history. If we look back in the Old Testament, I know we're at odds. So if you just see the actions and you see and you start making assumptions, he's going to walk right on by and say, that's an Israelite. He deserves it. But when he sees the person and not the circumstance or the actions, he's able to lean in and say, I need to meet this need. So we want to learn to see the person. You need to see the neighbor next to you who you're frustrated with. See the coworker. Really see them. Not the actions. Because there's times, you know, we look at their actions and say, oh, this is who they are. We make all kinds of assumptions. If you see the person, we take all those assumptions away. So that's the C. See yourself the way God sees you and what he's done. See others, really see them. And then on the, under the do side of things, here's what I would say. Small steps make for long-term change in your life. If you struggle with kindness, it's going to be hard to leave here today and solve all the world's problems. It's going to be hard. If you have a lot of animosity towards someone, it's going to be very difficult to say, okay, he told me to be kind. I'm going to go be kind to everyone all the time. You could try, but you're going to get really tired by about one o'clock. So small steps, small actions. What about that coworker that you are really frustrated with? What if when you see them, every time you see them, you pray for them? Just that, small step. And, and I don't mean like, oh, Lord, I pray for John as he comes, because he's got issues. You know, not, it's, Lord, I pray that you help me to see who he really is. I pray that you bless him today. I pray that you give us an opportunity 
maybe for me to show love. How about if you're in, you're in a store and the checkout line is super, super long and they, obviously the person who's working is incompetent because that's the only explanation, right? And in, you're in line going like, they hired an incompetent person again. If only they hired people like me, we'd be fine. But so, and you're in line and you're just getting madder and madder because, oh man, if, you, if it takes you another minute and a half, what in the world are you gonna do? But you see that, what if you just pray for that person? Say, God, I just pray that you just give them a, a sense of joy for right now. And what if when you got up to, to see them and, they, and they, you know, they're looking frazzled, what if you just said, hey, how are you doing today? Instead of like, hey, I guess you missed your training, didn't you? I know, no one would say that out loud. I don't think. <laughs> I have a great story for another sermon, but... <laughs> I'll just say this, I was telling my family how much I thought about the person on the phone, uh, the customer service, because I thought I was on hold, and I was telling them how incompetent this company was, and that guy doesn't, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm like, oh, you're not supposed to hear me being a jerk. Anyway, <laughs> I guess it's not for another sermon, it's for now. So. Small steps. What if it was just a small prayer for them? What if it was a small word of kindness? And those small steps over time become a part of just God's, just surrendering to the Spirit in the small moments. It starts to become a part of who we are. And you are going to have days you don't do it well. Get it. But it's out of the inner source of who we are inside, not that person. It's the kindness. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up and end with this one verse on First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul writes, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Hey, instead of saying, I'm going to make sure everyone gets what they deserve, Paul says, in fact, why don't we reverse that? And let's give them something that seems so foreign, the kindness of God. Let's pour that out. We're going to end our time by going uh, to what we call communion. And in communion, we have uh, crackers that represent the body of Christ. It represents the life that he lived, the death he died, and his resurrection. And then we have some juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. It's, it's a promise. It's a covenant that he made that said, whatever I'm promising to you cannot be broken. And today, as we end in communion, I think it's the great way to respond to this message of God's kindness poured out to us. Because the ultimate example of giving someone what we don't deserve, a good thing that we didn't deserve, was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Because what God could have done, and honestly should have done, is looked at us and said, you know what you guys deserve? Uh, we're done. Just like with Jonah. What did Jonah deserve when he said, Lord, you should just kill me? If it were me, I'd have been like, okay. Good idea. But he pours out grace to him. He poured out grace to you and to me and to your neighbor and to bad drivers and to workers who don't know what they're doing and to people who vote differently, people who protest against your beliefs, all of those people, to the people in your house who you struggle with. That's who he poured out his life for. Oh, yeah, and for you. And so we're going to go and we're going to remember the kindness of God that was given to a bunch of undeserving people who now can rest in the goodness of who, 
being holy because he said, you will be holy as I pour my life into you. And as we do that and remember the life of Christ through the bread and remember the promise in his blood, remember that it means that you have, this is you now. This is who you are. You are kind. It's in you. That's your identity. So as we remember Christ, let's remember who we are. That's the truth. And walk in light of that. So as we sing this last song, we're going to invite you um, at your own timing. Go to the tables. Uh, Self-serve today. Uh, those on the plaza, uh, we have elements out there for you outside. You're welcome to come in as well and grab them. And so you could go by yourself if you want to go with your family. You want to spread out around the room or take it back to your seats. However you want to do it, this is your time. Let's remember the kindness and goodness of God poured out to us through the elements today. And then when you're back, let's sing this last song. Stand with us and sing whenever, again, it's your pace. So let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you, God, for the reminder of your goodness, your kindness that was poured out to us. Your mercy, your grace, it is who you are. And so, God, we receive that today. And we ask that you would just pour that life into us. Help us surrender to that. And Lord, in body, that life as we go. We thank you. We give you this time now and receive our praise and our thankfulness through communion and worship. In your name, amen. Amen. God, we thank you so much for the reminder this morning that uh, you are our cornerstone, Lord. Your life poured out for us. That is what we bank our hope in. We don't bank it in our our ability to do any of this stuff well. Lord, we rest in your perfect love for imperfect people. So we thank you for that this morning, God. And uh, we pray that as we go this week, brothers and sisters of Seacoast, may you go now in the power of the Spirit and allow his life to be lived through you. God, we thank you. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for coming out. If you are a guest this morning, we would love to meet you either in the back uh, guest services table or I'd love to meet you myself. I'll be in the plaza. And uh, turn to the person you said hi to earlier and go grab a cup of coffee together and we'll see you next week.